You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. Have you been naughty or nice? Happy holidays, everybody. I hope you're having a good winter break. I hope you're having a great Christmas, if Christmas is your thing, or a great Hanukkah, or whatever else, whatever your thing is. I hope you're having a good one. We release these shows on Tuesdays, and this year Christmas Eve happens to fall on Tuesday. And this particular Tuesday happens to fall right in the middle of Hanukkah. So lots of you out there probably won't even be listening to today's episode until later in the week, maybe on the drive or flight back home. But some of you are listening right now on Christmas Eve, the day the show came out. Some of you are listening right now because you're alone and you'll want to check out the opening of last year's Christmas Week show for my advice on getting through Christmas alone. But some of you are listening right now in a room full of people who make you feel alone, who make you feel disrespected, judged, shamed. And to keep the peace, to avoid being accused of ruining Christmas, you grin and bear it and count the minutes and pop in your earbuds to listen to a few podcasts. I want to let those of you who are listening right now know, whether you're alone or alone in a room full of people, that I'm thinking about you and I'm rooting for you. And I know you can get through this because you've gotten through it before. And if what you're getting at quote unquote home right now is why can't you be different? Why must you be different? Or some variation on you aren't good enough or why can't you change? And if that's why you're listening right now to escape all that, I want to let you know that you don't have to be different. You don't have to change. You just have to be you. But you can change things. Home is a choice. Family, too. If you can't find people back, quote, unquote, home who celebrate your sexual orientation, respect your gender identity, if you can't find people there who embrace your choice of a partner singular or partners plural or your choice not to have a partner at all, that's not your home. And you don't have to return there next year. If today's podcast is helping you get through a shitty holiday, all of us, Nancy, the tech savvy at risk youth, the callers, the commenters, all of us are glad we could make your day a little better, if only for an hour or two. But I want you to think about how you can make it better for yourself next year, this time next year. Not by being different, not by changing, but by making different choices, by making changes. So that next year, You'll be one of those people who didn't get to listen to this week's show right away because you were too busy, because you were surrounded next year by your family of origin, but by your family of choice, by people who love you and whose company you enjoy, your actual family. All right, coming up on today's show, Hannah Bradshaw is here, a researcher, in to discuss for a What You Got a recent study on why straight women like being served by gay men in department stores. And programming note, the Showtime documentary series Couples Therapy is looking for couples in the greater New York City area to participate in a new season. Check out the first season on Showtime and then go to CouplesTherapyDocumentary.com to learn more and apply. Hi, Dan. Um, my question is that I decided I wanted to have a threesome by the time I turned 40 with two men. So boy, boy, girl. 
threesome. And I'm just wondering how I should go about doing that. Uh, I'm no stranger to dating apps. However, I don't want to put that out there on a dating app. And I am a little trepidatious about like a sex communities in in my city. You know, it's a, a city of a million people, but somehow everyone seems to know everybody. And I'm just a little bit timid about um, joining groups in, in that way. But I would like to find open-minded guys and I would like to do it in a way that is as efficient as possible so that I don't have to spend a whole lot of time doing this. And I'm just wondering what your advice might be to cut through the bullshit, get to the heart of the matter, have some great experiences and get on with my life in that way. So yeah, whatever you have to say about that. And um, also I am a little worried about whether or not this is going to be uh, in conflict with my ability to get into romantic, uh, more meaningful emotional relationships in time. And I'm just a little worried that I love the side of me that is a freak, but I also want to have a healthy emotional relationship. So how do I balance those? How do I deal with the ramifications of, of kind of a misinterpretation of of my um, value as a, as a woman trying to have an emotional relationship with a man, but being interested in doing freaky shit. Beware the artificial deadline. There's this thing I want to do. I want to do it before I turn 40. You don't mention your age. If you're 28, well, then there's plenty of time. And that artificial deadline is so far off in the future that it's not going to create pressure but if that deadline is three months in the future, then you might, if you really hew to it, if you really get invested in nailing it, you might end up doing something on impulse that isn't advisable. Well, I want to do this by the time I'm 40 and I'm turning 40 in three months and an opportunity might come along you know, a month before you turn 40 with some people that you feel not great about or there are a couple of little red flags and you ignore them because you're just so invested in doing this before you – turn 40. So it's not bad to have it as a benchmark, but don't make it into a serious drop dead kind of deadline because you don't want to find yourself in bed with a couple of sketchy guys. So what do you do? You don't want to get involved in the sex community where you live and whatever the sex positive circles are. Well, there are tons of apps out there for people who are looking for threesomes, for couples looking for thirds, for individuals looking for couples, field yummy, mixer, adult friend finder. Do a little Googling, you'll find your way to the apps, you'll find your way to the reviews, and you can post. Now, that requires you to be a little public, and some people might, in your community, in the city of a million people where you live, wind up knowing this about you. And you kind of got to get comfortable with that, just as I hope and assume that you're comfortable occasionally finding out something about somebody in your social circle, someone in your friend network that they did a thing and you heard about it, hopefully not through malicious gossip, but just a fact about them and you don't obsess about it. You don't throw it in their face. You don't spread the gossip yourself maliciously. I promise you, despite your worst fears and anxieties, that most people in your community who may wind up finding this out about you because you had that threesome or you had a few of them or they saw you on a dating app that they were on too aren't going to gossip maliciously about it. Finally, I'm a little concerned about what seems to be this notion of yours, that there is the freak you are sexually and then the person you also are who wants a long-term committed, romantic, intimate relationship and that these two things are somehow in conflict, that these two impulses 
are diametrically opposed and cannot be integrated. And that is not true. Anyone who had their sexual awakening, I hope, listening to my show would know that's not true, that you can have a long-term, committed, intimate, romantic relationship with someone that you get freaky with, someone who values and appreciates and celebrates the ways in which you're sexually adventurous, the ways in which your sexuality is freaky and wants to be along for that ride, wants to have those adventures with you. Obviously, you should get out there and make it known that you are open to dating by guys because then three ways with two dudes and you doesn't have to be this thing you get out of your system before you have your long-term committed intimate romantic relationship. It can be something that is a part of your long-term committed intimate romantic relationship throughout your life. Not every fucking Wednesday, Thursday and Sunday, but an occasional thing that you and your bisexual but heteroromantic long-term partner get to do together. Something that helps cement your bond, a sexual adventure that you two get to go on together every once in a while where he gets to be with a dude in front of you. You get to be with these two dudes. They both want to pay attention to you too. You get to be a freak, get really freaky on that Saturday night with your husband and some boy toy, some other man to be named later found on one of these three-way dating apps and then go home or return to your normal intimate life and then not go home or return to your normal intimate romantic relationship because you didn't have to end it. You didn't step outside that intimate romantic relationship to have that adventure. It is a part, an intrinsic part of your intimate romantic relationship. Good luck. Hey, Dan. Uh, street mail calling from uh, Western Canada uh, with a question about public sex. My question is, I just got my wife a remotely controlled vibrator. I have this fantasy of wanting to have sex outdoors. We live uh, close to the Rocky Mountains and, you know, being up on a mountain and just being out in nature and, and going to town is a, a fantasy of mine. And we've been trying to, to look at how we could make that happen without impacting other hikers and that sort of thing. I grew up in a really strict Catholic uh, household and, so I'm just starting to kind of come into understanding my sexual life. As you well know, growing up Catholic, there's a lot of repression. And, and so just starting to kind of explore aspects of, of, my, of my sexuality and, and sexual life. And so as a kind of foothold to moving forward with this, we kind of thought it would be cool to get this, this remotely controlled vibrator that uh, that I could use in public. She could wear it and I could control it with my phone. The question is what what's appropriate? You've talked about public sex a lot and how to go about it, how to navigate, making sure you're not infringing on other people's existence in these public spaces. My question is about these remote controlled devices. If we're in a park or a wooded area, or up a mountain or something, that seems okay. But I don't know what the guidelines are for, say, sitting in a restaurant, or sitting in a bar, uh, something, it's not like I'm going to, you know, hit the remote and make my wife having a screaming orgasm in the middle of a restaurant. But 
you know, if someone sees it or sees me controlling the thing, you know, what are the guidelines for being in these public spaces and, and being in, in a restaurant or being in a, a bar or a coffee shop or whatever where someone glances over their shoulder and, and, and they see you doing something on your phone, they, they might know that that's a, a sex toy or something. So just looking for a bit of guidelines on, on how we can do this uh, in an appropriate way. If someone sees you in a restaurant pushing buttons on your phone and then notices your wife shiver, that person is observing the two of you too closely. That person, if they realize that you're using a remote-controlled sex toy, which that person couldn't know for sure, but let's say that they recognize the reality of you pushing buttons on your phone and your wife's shivers, which come immediately after you push those buttons and they put two and two together, that's on them. They're looking too closely. They're scrutinizing other people too closely. They are not minding their own goddamn business. So feel free to sit in a restaurant with your wife and enjoy this, what I call and have written a lot about. You can Google Savage Love and the phrase secret perving and when secret perving is permissible and when secret perving is not permissible. And it's permissible when it's basically undetectable. If other people aren't being bothered, you know, if you're going to have public sex, okay, you're going to have public sex in the middle of a busy street or in the middle of a park full of people, probably not okay. You're going to have public sex on a mountain after hiking for hours and hours and not seeing people for a while. You can go ahead and do that. If another hiker comes along, you know what? They're hiking along. They might run across two deer or two bear or a couple of otters fucking. When you're out in public, in the world, in a place, even out in the woods where animals and humans are animals have a reasonable expectation of privacy, you might encounter animals, bears, deers, otters, humans, seizing the moment, seizing that opportunity to fuck. And that is a risk of going out in the world. You want people to be considerate. And if there are lots of people around or it's a place you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy, it is not okay to initiate sexual activity. But after a long day's hiking, you haven't seen anybody for a couple of hours and you don't hear anybody else coming along the trail and you're going to knock one out in 15 minutes, fucking go for it. Leave the trail. Get like 10 feet off the trail and fucking go for it. If you hear somebody coming, if you hear a twig break, pull your pants up and don't worry about it. Same thing with this remote-controlled vibrator. That sounds really fun and exciting and something for you and your wife to share and a, a real adventure. And people do this sort of stuff all the time. The guy goes out to dinner with his wife and he's wearing her panties and he's all turned on because he's out in public and nobody knows and he's secretly perving on it. The foot fetishist who works in the shoe store who is able to control himself and nobody's the wiser but he can go home at the end of the day and furiously masturbate about all the feet he saw Secret perving, and it's fine. You and your wife out in public and you on your phone and your wife shivering a little bit? I would look at that and think, dude's on his phone and his wife has a cold. I wouldn't look at that and think, there must be a remote-controlled sex toy device in this room, probably her panties somewhere, and I'm offended. And if someone did look at that and they were offended, that person was out in the world looking for things to get offended about and you did them a favor. Enjoy. Hey, Dan. I am calling because I'm dealing with a difficult situation with one of my dearest friends. I am a cisgendered gay male living in the Northeast. 
And two of our friends are also gay and they are engaged to be married and they're having a very difficult time with one of their families, primarily regarding the wedding itself. They appear to be very supportive at the front end, but now have kind of ghosted on any conversation, planning dialogue uh, about the wedding itself. They ended up actually having a pretty aggressive phone conversation and fight, which then resulted in them ultimately sending a letter explaining how they felt. And now, most recently, they have decided to not go home for Thanksgiving. Try to communicate stuff that you said in the past on other callers about your presence is the currency you have with your parents as an adult and, and trying to communicate that your, your parents need to recognize that you can't just ignore the fights that you've had and just show up for Thanksgiving, assuming that all this stuff didn't happen and just smile and sit there with your partner. Like they didn't just reject your wedding to your face. Not really sure what to do to support them. I've invited them to our house for Thanksgiving, which they may or may not take us up on. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm trying to be as supportive as possible. My family has been great supporting me and my husband and our relationship and our wedding and all that stuff. But I just don't know what to do to support my friend and his partner um, to get through this. I just offered to listen and be there. Part of me wants to pick up the phone and yell at his mother, which I know is not the right thing, but I'm just being angry. Any guidance would be great. I just want to know what happened on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was a lot. We actually had some, some actually our family had some unfortunate situations going on health wise. Everyone's okay. My friend ended up not going home, which I think was probably the right idea. Mm -hmm. Um, which was, I mean, he's, he actually ended up coming over afterwards and we kind of did like a second dessert type of thing. Glad every, I'm glad everybody got fed. Uh, what I'm really curious about and why I'm calling you back is uh, the letter that your friend's parents sent after they you know, be, began to withdraw and be uncommunicative about the wedding. Was it that mm -hmm. they actually don't approve of the gay thing and they don't approve of same-sex marriage and so that's not, why they're not coming to the wedding? So, so, so he wrote, ended up writing a letter to his, his family. So he ended up writing a letter. Originally, I think it was mostly cathartic. And then his father actually reached out to him the week of Thanksgiving. be like, hey, can you come anyway? We'll just pretend this conversation didn't happen. But what was the conversation? Which, like, why is his family being withdrawn and cold and uncommunicative about the wedding? Is it homophobia? So, well, it's not really clear, uh, to be quite honest with you, that he, his, his mother and father didn't really provide a lot of guidance about the decision that you're making, which to me says homophobia. Did they not approve of the match, which, you know, sometimes happens. And, you know, when it happens in an opposite sex relationship, we can't chalk it up to homophobia or heterophobia. Uh, but when it happens in a same sex relationship, you know, we have that option of saying, you know, it's not about the interpersonal dynamics that our parents have witnessed or my parents have witnessed and they worry for me and don't approve. It's that they're just homophobes and it gives us an out because sometimes our families are like not into the people that we're marrying. And then 10 years after we married them, we're like, oh, our family was right. And it wasn't about mm -hmm. a phobia. It was about the person you were marrying. Is that possible here? Like I'm just having a hard time pinning you down on like, what's the issue? And that's, and that's the hard part, right, is I, I honestly don't know a lot. And he doesn't know a lot, which I think is the hard part, is mm -hmm. his parents are being very kind of 
Northeast religious, if we don't talk about it, it's not a thing Mm -hmm. and have kind of shut down all dialogue about it, like down to the point where his decision to not come for the holiday was met with, well, that's your choice. And that was the end of the conversation. Okay, so what everybody needs to do here seems obvious to me. His parents aren't communicating. He can't force them to communicate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. All he can do is go forward with planning the wedding. Do you approve of the match? Do you like the guy you're friends marrying? They are are two of our absolute dearest friends. Okay. Help them plan the wedding. Love and support them. Be an ear if he wants to vent about his jerky, uncommunicative family. But he needs to not focus on them, and you need to not focus on them send them an invite and they can come or not come and the planning can continue apace. But you shouldn't, you know, it's not going to be a help to your friend if you're so emotionally wrapped up in his relationship with his parents that you're calling me Mm -hmm. sounding like you're in tears about it. I was, I was having a very difficult time that day, mostly because I just, he is one of my absolute closest friends. I just did not know what else to offer him. And I have a very difficult time having friends that are struggling Mm -hmm. and not being able to, and this is obviously my my own challenges, right? right? Any any aspect of my life where if I, if I don't have control of a situation or I can't influence control over a situation, I have a difficult time with it. And particularly since it's causing someone who's very important to me, emotional pain, I have a very difficult time doing it. Right. Well, you don't want to be too, you know, you want to be empathetic, but you don't want to be too much of an empath because, you know, when we have That's friends right. who are struggling and who are in pain, uh, the pain is theirs. And sometimes what they need from us is strength, that they need someone who's mm-hmm. in their life who, you know, doesn't feel their pain with them and sort of succumb to the, you know, the full emotional weight of it, but can, you know, recognize it, recognize that they're in pain hear them, validate their feelings, and then help them be more constructive about what to do. And you're asking me, what can you do for your friend? That's what you can do. You can help your friend with what now? Like set your family aside, send them an invitation. Mm -hmm. Let's make this wedding happen. And they can be there or not be there. And there can be fallout from their presence or their absence after. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of people, gay and straight, bisexual trans have had family even parents not show up to weddings for all sorts of fucked up reasons and get through it and don't let it destroy them you know if his family's being malicious in an effort to hurt him by you know refusing to show up well you can change your perspective on that you know bad people who want to hurt you aren't going to be at your wedding yahtzee (laughs) they're your parents you know, That's it's fair. salt in the wound. But if, you know, you're going to have long conversations with them and they're, they don't approve or they're being jerks about it, you don't want them at your wedding. Grieve it before they don't show up. And then if they show up and they're decent and they have had an epiphany and they apologize and come around, well, that's just more frosting on your wedding cake. And if they don't show up, you've already grieved it because you knew they weren't probably coming. So let's grieve it and get on with it. Get on with the planning. That's that's a good point, and I think I think you're right. I mean, I I need to not own the emotional response to it because that's obviously his pain to carry. But you know, you're, you're, I mean, the takeaway here is you're right. It, 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 it's the appropriate response. Is it fair that I have an emotional response to it? Sure. Should I be outwardly with that? No. Right. It's his. Right. It's his. Yeah. It's his death. You know, when sometimes in relationships with 
people that you're close to, and right. it can feel like a death. It's his death to grieve. And, and you're yeah. there at the wake to honor his grief, not to experience it. No, you're right. And, and, and he, he, to his, his credit, you know, when we saw him that evening and we spent time with them over this past weekend, it didn't consume all dialogue between us. Good. Um, Good. He said that as time has gone by since skipping the holiday, you know, it's gone easier. I mean, he's the type of person who speaks with his mother probably five days a week. And the fact that he hasn't in almost two weeks now is, is, is credit to him. And obviously, you know, by doing it over and over again. And he's doing what I would advise any person to do in that situation, a queer person particularly. Your only leverage, as you know, you were quoting me, your only leverage over your parents as an adult is your presence. And if they can't love and respect you and your choices and the partner that you've chosen, even if they disapprove, they have to shift to like love and respect that choice. Uh, then you don't, then don't make yourself present. You don't have to subject yourself to their barbs, to their disapproval, to shaming, to, to misgendering, to whatever the fuck it is that your parents are doing that makes you feel terrible and not seen or recognized or valued, don't show the fuck up for it. Oh, you're right. I told me that, that. To, to your credit. And, and, and actually, I, I footnoted it as I, as I spoke to him about it. <laughs> well, I appreciate the credit. I appreciate being down there in the footnotes. Now you go and get on the phone with your friend or go have lunch with your friend and do some serious wedding planning. That's probably what he needs help with and no more like picking at this wound. That's fair. Good luck. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old bisexual female wondering if I should stay in this relationship that I've been in for the last four years. I've been with my boyfriend um, in a monogamous relationship and he's very sweet, caring, kind, attentive, we're very compatible in a lot of ways, but I keep coming back to this feeling like there's something missing. And I think a large part of that is that he's very stereotypically male in the sense that he's very out of touch with his emotions and has an extremely hard time connecting on a deep emotional level, especially on his part. He's understanding, but if it has to do with anything that affects him he will just kind of shut down. So we recently were traveling away from home. I got a travel assignment as a nurse. And so I was working away from home for the last nine months and he came with me. And in those nine months, we were very isolated. I tried making friends and creating a little bit of a community for myself, but with such a short term uh, assignment, we were very isolated. And when it was just me and him, I'll be honest, I was pretty miserable. I felt like this void was in between our relationship. And I was desperately trying to find a way to make it better. I really uh, wanted to open up the relationship as well to try polyamory just so that I could feel like I was getting more of my needs met. So fast forward to now, we've moved back home and with my family and friends around, this whole issue seems a lot less important. I feel very connected to my friends and family, but it makes me uncomfortable to think that we can change our location geographically and then suddenly this problem, we just don't talk about it anymore. So what do you think, Dan? Is this somebody that I should be continuing to work for? 
should I know that already by now after four years or should I be out there looking for another partner who might meet more of my needs or is at least open to opening the relationship if necessary? He's considered therapy, but I don't think seriously. I don't know what to think. And that's not a very satisfying answer. I know. And I apologize. You say this guy is sweet, caring, kind, and that you two are very compatible. You've been together four years. You're 26 years old. So you met him when you were 22. And when you're somewhere where you have a – your family's around and you have a solid friendship network, you're perfectly content in this relationship because you have emotional needs that he doesn't meet. And when you aren't isolated, when it's just not the two of you on a desert island somewhere, this web of relationships and connections – and him, that all works for you. And when it's just the two of you alone, and you know this, it's particularly now after that nine-month stint nursing wherever it was you were nursing, you know that when it's just the two of you alone that you're miserable should you end the relationship. You know, is this evidence that he can't meet your needs? We talk often about how people have unrealistic expectations of what they're going to get out of their romantic relationship, that they not only want sex and romance and intimacy – they also want this person to be their best friend, their confidant, the person who provides them with you know, a, a sounding board and good career advice. And they just want this person to be their everything. And a person can't be your everything. A lot of us are dissatisfied in our relationships, not because the relationship itself is really in any way deficient. It's just that our expectations are so inflated, so out of whack that there's no relationship that we'd ever be in that wouldn't disappoint us. And often the path to contentment, and sometimes we realize this only after we've thrown a few perfectly decent partners overboard, isn't finding a new partner who meets all of our emotional, social, and sexual needs, but adjusting our expectations and not expecting our partner to give us everything that we need from other people, not one other person, but from other people, from a community of people. So on the one hand, I'm reluctant to tell you to dump this guy for the reasons that you laid out. On the other hand... You've been with him since you were 22 years old. You're 26 years old. You're interested in polyamory. You're interested in opening the relationship. Not, it seems, because you want to have an open relationship or an open relationship is the ideal relationship model for you. But I'm guessing or intuiting that what's going on here is that you kind of want out. You kind of want to get out there and date. You kind of want to be with other people. But you're worried about hurting this guy who's meant so much to you and that you do genuinely love but that you may have outgrown not just emotionally, but socially, sexually, that you may be done with this relationship and it was the right relationship for you at a certain time in your life, but it's not the right relationship for you going forward. So ask yourself, is an open relationship, is a non-monogamous relationship, is a polyamorous relationship what you want to be happy? Or is it the patch that you're thinking about slapping on the monogamous relationship that you're in now because it doesn't make you happy? Holly as a patch doesn't work. Open as a patch doesn't work. And if that's what's going on here, you should end it and end it honestly, not enter into negotiations about opening the relationship when what you want is out. And there's a lot of women out there who want out but have a hard time articulating that because a lot of women out there have a really hard time owning their own wants, their own desires, feeling like they're valid. So I hear you basically Sketching out a lot of reasons why a person might want to get out of the relationship that you happen to be in. You're the person in that relationship. If you want out, you should get out. 
hey, Dan, I'm a queer woman from the Northwest, and I know how much you love wedding questions. My partner and I have been together for a couple of years and have started talking about marriage, and it's kind of been understood that they would be the one proposing to me because I'm sort of a princess. But it's also been like, okay, well, don't propose to me until you're sure I'm ready and I'm going to say yes kind of a thing. And I guess I'm looking for a cutesy way to signify that I'm ready. Um, And so I thought of this idea of a pre-proposal proposal proposal where I would kind of reenact basically a, a wedding proposal, but with the, instead of the question, will you marry me, I'm going to ask, will you propose to me? Um, obviously not tonight, but like, you know, I'm ready. And so my question really is, have you ever heard of that? Is this a thing? I did some Googling and I haven't seen anybody else do anything like that. So um, I'm wondering if maybe there's something I haven't thought of. So I'd be open to feedback from any of your listeners. If, um, if this is something that they think would be a good idea or am I sort of stealing their thunder, my partner's thunder by doing the proposal first. And my idea was to take us to like, you know, the first place we met and have this super cute night. But I don't, like if that was their plan for proposing to me, but I don't want to steal that. So also if you have any other suggestions of like fun, cool ways to pop this question, I would love to hear it. I'll always remember the night I asked Terry if he might want to get married. I said, would you want to get married? And he looked at me and said, why the fuck would I want to do that? It was very romantic, our proposal. Anyway, yeah, I'm a little concerned about airing this call. I don't want to kick off another round of cultural insanity, inanity. Somebody had a little gender reveal duck cake and it turned into people setting off bombs and shrapnel flying through the air and killing guests at their gender reveal parties. If we launch the yes, you may propose to me proposal, the pre-proposal proposal from the person who is going to be the one proposed to and that took off, oh my God, it would be like pre-promposal proposals. It could metastasize into a cultural phenomenon that winds up with people setting off bombs at their will you propose to me proposal ceremonies so i'm a little kind of not into this idea and i do think you getting on one knee or if you're doing the opposite of a proposal up on a stepladder i guess to propose proposing to the person you want to propose to you it just is a little bit i don't know escher printy after a while so i I can't endorse this idea i'm sure we'll get calls about it and we'll (laughs) run some of them you'll get some feedback But I can't endorse this idea. You've only been with your girl. First of all, you've only been dating your girlfriend for two years. It's too soon unless you're planning on having a nice long engagement. But you've already been talking about the idea of marriage and you've made it clear to them that you're the one who would like to be proposed to. So they know that. So when they're ready, they will pop the question. And when they pop the question, it will be more emotionally significant. It'll be more fun for you as the proposee. If you haven't just immediately signaled to them that now is the time. So, no. Can't get behind this idea. Seems to come from a place of impatience. You're ready for this proposal. You can mention that casually in passing. You can get a t-shirt that says I'm ready on it. Custom made. Wear it around the house. Sleep in it. Hope they get the message. But no pre-posal proposals, please. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a bisexual woman living in a small rural area. And a long time ago, 
I went through a breakup that was really devastating, and during that time, I became really unwell, and it didn't help that the guy continued to use me for sex for a while after we broke up, and then I went through a phase of, after that was over, of really just seeking his approval and seeking his friendship, and he didn't really want to be friends with me, and um, but he did use me a couple of times for invitations to parties or rides to places that he wanted to go. So eventually I had to ask myself, what is missing from my life that I thought this person could provide? And it turned out to be a good question because I feel like my life is really great now and I, I'm really happy about it. Except, by sheer coincidence, I now live in a small rural community where we have a lot of really big parties, and he just happened to move to another small rural community about 20 miles away recently, and I've started to see him at parties. And when I see him, I just feel awful. I don't want to talk to him. I feel embarrassed about the way that I acted in the past, and... I don't feel good, and I I don't talk to him. I just sort of focus on my friends and my community that I love, um, but it's hard. And so now I don't know what to do. I feel like contacting him to talk is kind of an unhealthy impulse because I've had to train myself to understand that there isn't anything that he can do or say or understand or whatever that can make me feel better. At the same time, I feel a lot of trepidation about the future winter parties that we're going to have in my neighborhood um, because I really just don't know what, I don't want to see him. So, I don't know, help me out, help me figure out what to do. Sending someone a letter that says I'm over you is going to be interpreted by that person who received the letter as proof that you are not over them. And maybe you are over him. Maybe people who've sent the I'm over you letters in the past and people currently out there writing them now are genuinely and sincerely over the person that that letter is addressed to, but usually not, which is why it is a safe assumption when you get that letter that the person you got it from is not fucking over you. The best way to prove to your ex that you are over him is to continue to live your life and just blur him out, pixelate him. When you see him across the room, when he happens to be in the same place that you are at the same time that you're there, The powers of pixelation. You can just blur him on the other side of the room wherever he is and make a beeline to people that you want to be with, hang out with people you want to be with. If you pass him in a hallway at a house party, smile and nod and keep moving. And if you have to write him a letter, well, then sit down and write him a letter. But you don't have to send it. Hi, Dan. I'm an 18-year-old woman who recently got involved with a 21-year-old man. Before anything physically happened, he revealed to me that he's in slaw. We had a conversation in which he communicated his desire to be celibate for the rest of his life, but two days later, he came on to me and we made out. After that, I told him I didn't want to jeopardize his celibacy, but then again, a week later, he gave me a ride home and we made out. Things progressed, I touched his dick, and he touched me. But now that it's obvious that he is not committed to his vow of celibacy, I just want to have casual sex with him. I think there are several red flags. I don't think he's being totally honest with me or with himself but I'm very sexually attracted to him. I've enjoyed all the sexual encounters we've had so far, and I just want to have sex. I know this seems like it is a clear answer, but I'm having a hard time hearing it. 
Can you give me a more nuanced interpretation? Help me understand what I'm going through. When someone basically tells you, when, when they shout at you, hey, I'm a deeply conflicted mess sexually, your response shouldn't be, hey, I want to have sex with that person. I want to be naked in a room with this person who is likely to have some sort of personal crisis reaction to breaking his ludicrous vows of celibacy. Obviously, he's interested in breaking and is tiptoeing up to breaking with you. I have been in exactly your position with deeply conflicted, messy closet cases when I was in my early 20s, when I was in my teens. Not guys who'd taken vows of celibacy, but guys who'd taken vows of heterosexuality, who said that they were never going to do these terrible gay things because they weren't gay and they didn't want to be gay. And yet there we would be in cars and they would be grabbing my dick and we would be making out. And then, well, I guess I'm telling you to do as I say, not as I did because I did have sex with these terribly, deeply conflicted, messy guys occasionally after they came, after they weren't suddenly so horny anymore, the full realization of what they'd just done, and that was me, came crashing over them and they were upset. And it wasn't fun to be locked in the room with these self-hating, upset, closeted homos. And I promise you, it will not be fun for you to be locked in a room or locked in a car with this guy this deeply conflicted, messy celibacy case after he ejaculates. It won't be worth it. You will regret it as I regretted it. At a certain point, I swore off those deeply messy, closeted Catholic boys. Learn from the errors of, <laughs> learn from my mistakes and swear off this dude now. All right, we're going to take a quick break from your calls because every once in a while we like to invite researchers or scientists onto the show to share with us the results of a new scientific study that they've published for a little segment we call What You Got. Joining us for this What You Got, Hannah Bradshaw, a PhD candidate in experimental psychology at Texas Christian University. She researches women's social relationships and consumer preferences and behavior. Hey, Hannah, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I felt like calling you Dr. Bradshaw just in advance of you getting your PhD because I'm Ooh. so confident you will. Um, oh, I thank you. So you have a new study out. I have no idea what it is. What do you got? Okay. So I want to preface this by saying that the, the first author on this is Eric Russell. So I want to give credit where credit is due. So uh, Eric Russell's been doing a lot of research and I have been fortunate enough to uh, been brought in on this project. And his research uh, focuses on these interesting relationships that we find um, in modern culture and across time um, about friendships between gay men and straight women. So the particular study that we're talking about uh, today is called Intersexual Female Competition and Female Trust in Gay Male Sales Associates Recommendations. So there's a, a trope, I guess, in popular culture that uh, women like working with gay men in retail settings, but this hasn't really been studied yet. So this is what we did here. So there are four studies in this package. Uh, the first one is qualitative. So it looks at um, the attributes that women tend to associate with uh, gay male retail sales associates. So it finds that women view these uh, gay men as being very trustworthy. They like working with them. Um, and then the third set of studies, uh, the following three studies, 
finds that women like working with gay male sales associates, particularly when they think that they're going to be in a parents-related competition with a female sales associate. And the second study finds that... Wait, 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 that- slow down. So, so in a, an appearance-related competition with a female yes. sales associate, they prefer working with a gay man over a female sales associate because they might feel like they're competing with that woman? Yes. So they might feel uh, bad uh, if they think that the woman might be judging them is kind of the idea here. Oh, okay. Because Lord knows no one's ever been judged by a gay dude. Please go on. (laughs) Yes, indeed, right? But I I guess it's better um, is what it it finds. So (laughs) people feel less bad when they're being judged by a gay man because the idea here is that they're going to give you more trustworthy advice because they're not trying to undermine you. So suddenly they undermine you. Suddenly the idea here is a, a woman who's shopping at Nordstrom's and if it's a female sales associate, they might feel that you know they're not getting the best advice from her because she doesn't want to make them look too good because they're in competition for the same scarce resource dick. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, are you sure you haven't read this study? <laughs> because that's like particularly... Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly what they find. So um, the that's second crazy. study. That's crazy. That's crazy. I know, right? <laughs> so the third one finds that women prefer to work with uh, gay male sales associates over a heterosexual female and heterosexual male uh, sales associates, and that they particularly trust gay male sales associates' recommendations when it comes to appearance products. So not products that can't be used to. Uh, enhance appearance. So things like vacuum cleaners, uh, people don't show this differential um, desire to trust gay male sales associates. And do you think this might have just something to do with the kind of the the stereotype that, you know, I disprove, but other gay men seem to prove or embrace that we're more stylish, more fashion forward, that, you know, we know better about hair and dresses and color than uh, the average person, even the average straight person. Is it just tapping into that stereotype or is it really all about this fear that, you know, a woman sales associate might not have your best interests at heart in case you end up in the same club that same weekend in the same dress chasing the same guy? I'm really glad that you asked that because that's exactly what uh, we find. So it's not that they're uh, perceived to be like more fashion forward or more fashion savvy. It's particularly that uh, women perceive gay men to have better uh, positive intentions and that they therefore trust their product recommendations. So have you done, have you or uh, Eric Russell, the lead author on the study, considered flipping this study on its head and seeing who gay men are more comfortable shopping, you know, taking shopping tips and advice from? Because that competition for that scarce resource deck would exist between two gay men. The gay man looking for the best assless chaps, the gay man selling the assless chaps. (laughs) They're both going to be out in the leather bar on Friday night chasing the same top. Like if this is true, if of women that women prefer to get advice from gay men because they they're not competitors, you know the gay the guys the gay guys are going to go after aren't guys you're going to want to go after and vice versa. It seems like the reverse would be true that that, that gay men would rather get you know assistance in a yeah. Nordstrom's from a woman than from a, a man. A gay man. So we haven't uh, particularly looked at that in retail settings, but Eric has previous research that does indeed find that gay men perceive straight women to provide more trustworthy mating advice. <laughs> so I would, right? Isn't that so cool? Are we all terrified of our friends? Does this apply to our friends too? Like if you go to 
you know, you're a gay man and you need relationship advice. You go to another gay man. You can't trust what he's going to tell you because maybe he's trying to sabotage your relationship because he wants all the dick in the world. And if you're a straight woman, you can't go to your straight female friends for the same reason. Or you might be less likely to or trust their advice less because you're always suspicious of their motives. Is that competitive instinct really so strong that it it really affects our feelings for people that we see ourselves in competition with, even if we're not really in competition with them? I, I think so. I mean, the, the effect sizes aren't, uh, it's not going to be true for everyone all of the time. But on average, um, I think that this tendency exists. So even if we might not be readily aware of it, we are in competition with other people, um, specifically for when it comes to mates. And yeah, I think it can influence our relationship. I wonder if it's instinctual or kind of a default reflexive setting. Because, you know, when you go to your gay friends for advice about your gay relationship or your straight female friends for advice about your straight relationship, you may know that, you know, they're partnered, that they've never been interested in somebody that you're interested in, that your type isn't their type. So you'd never really be in competition. But I wonder if this is just so deeply ingrained that you're going to react to anybody who's you know, seeking your same sexual target uh, as if they were, even if you kind of know in your non-reptile brain that they aren't. Yeah, I would say that the reptile brain is very, very, uh, it it plays a huge role in our behavior, even if we're not aware of it. I I would say that this is how things tend to play out, even though we might not want them to play out that way, but I think it does influence our behavior in ways that we're not directly aware of. So after you gave the title of the study, I Googled it and, and found my way to it. Uh, usually we save the title for the end. Uh, but Oh, it, my bad. No, 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 we're, no, no, no worries. Intersexual Female Competition and Female Trust in Gay Male Sales Associates. Recommendations. You can read it in research and marketing. Uh, anybody out there who wants to read the study. I'm looking at the abstract right now. And, he, and in the conclusion, the findings suggest that retailers should hire a diverse workforce no, retailers should fire everybody except for gay men, right? Because it's mostly women who buy clothes. Well, that would be discriminatory, right? We, we can't tell people it's not okay to hire people based on um, sexual orientation. Or their gender. Yeah, but the research finds that um, gay men are still being, uh, they, they face discrimination in the workforce. They face discrimination in hiring, even though our society has advanced. So you're not so, s- suggesting that... You know, all retailers fire all their straight female sales associates and just hire troops of gay men. You're suggesting to retailers or employers who might not like gay men or have hired gay men or promoted gay men that they are hurting their own bottom lines. Indeed, indeed. So it's good to be inclusive. And if you're inclusive, you might actually help yourself. And you need some straight female sales associates to sell assless chaps to the gay dudes who wander into Nordstrom, too. Exactly. I don't even know if they sell those there, but that would be that would be a thing. <laughs> Hannah Broadshaw, PhD candidate in experimental psychology at TCU, where she researches women's social relationships and consumer preferences and behavior. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone for what you got. Really appreciate it. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. Hello, Dan Savage and the tech savvy youth. I'm a mid fifties, heteroflexible guy living in the Midwest. First of all, I think I'm crazy lucky with a wonderful life. I met the love of my life when I was 17. We got married at 27 and have had an open relationship almost the entire time. She is not the problem. Here's my question. I've been listening to your show for a long time. I've listened to you talk about capital R relationships, like with my wife, and then lowercase r relationships in more of a poly sense. 
I think we all agree that with capital R relationships, if there's a problem or issue that you that might end things, you talk it out. In general, you try to save it. Or end it if there are legitimate reasons, but at least there's a communication process. But what about a lowercase r poly-swinger relationship? Here's my situation. I met an amazing lady at a sex party years ago. We started meeting one-on-one because we were both so into each other. We would meet every two or three months. The sex when we would meet was always off the charts, intense and amazing. We would meet one-on-one. We would have threesomes with other friends. We had threesomes and foursomes and group sex with my wife as well. No problems. We went out and did fun things together. It wasn't just sex all the time. Sometimes we would just Netflix and chill. It all seemed good. I really thought we were close friends. Things rolled along for about six years. I never remember getting in an argument with her. We never had a fight. The sex was always amazing. It was always laughter and interesting conversation and joy and fun times. Then I sent her a text like usual about a year ago to see if she wanted to set up another date. She told me things were going on in her life and she wasn't interested right then. Because I thought we were friends, I asked her what was up. Maybe we could meet for coffee and talk. She told me she just wasn't interested in meeting. She threw it back at me then as a Me Too moment. I needed to respect her choice to say no and that if I pressured her as to why, she would block me. That was it. I was like, what? I was stunned. Six years of good times and then nothing. Is this normal? Am I right to be a little upset that she doesn't want to even talk about what's going on? I, I just am so confused. Do I have to just accept that she just isn't interested anymore and that's that? I just keep on asking myself why. What happened? We've still communicated by text as friends for a while, but now it seems like she's completely ghosting me. So she's completely shut me out at this point. Is this normal? Is this weird? Do I have a right to be a little upset? This capital R relationship, lowercase r relationship thing you mentioned at the beginning of your call, I don't think that's anything I've ever talked about. I don't think that's a metaphor, an allegory of whatever the fuck it is I've ever used. Now, I sit in front of a microphone a lot, from my mouth a lot. Maybe that fell out of my mouth once. Uh, if it did, I take it back. I believe, of course, that you know we owe our primary partners, our spouses, a degree of compassion and understanding, emotional availability, accountability uh, that we may not owe in the same degree to a lowercase r relationship partner. But we do owe our lowercase r relationship partners something. We need to treat them well. We would like them to treat us well. And just in general, we shouldn't treat people like tube socks or flashlights that we can wipe up with or walk away from without a a word or a thought. You know, if it's a one night stand, that person has feelings and you want them to leave that encounter feeling good about themselves, feeling good about you. And if that person is, you know, just a three-way partner for a one-off, that person has feelings have to be taken into consideration. All right. This relationship that you're unhappy about the end of the six year connection that you had, that you regard as a lowercase R relationship, it ended You reached out to her after six years of hanging out and having sex and having threesomes and having moresomes and sometimes just watching movies and being buds. And she let you know that right now, with the things going on in her life, she wasn't able to hang out with you anymore, wasn't able to connect with you anymore. And then you pushed back and she said, take my no for an answer. 
She didn't mean to you. She didn't accuse you of doing anything wrong, but she definitely told you to back the fuck off when you asked for more of an explanation than she felt that you deserved. And now here you are a year later after a little bit of incidental contact, you guys have texted a little bit and you sound angry. You sound aggrieved, you sound entitled. You sound like you believe that you are owed a better explanation. And in the absence of that better explanation, what she should still be available to you. She should still be hanging out with you. She should still be having sex with you. While it would be best if she provided you with more information about why she ended the relationship, you aren't necessarily owed that information. She didn't ghost on you. She let you know something vague and broad in general, not in a place right now in my life where there's room for you. And that has to be explanation enough. You don't use the dreaded C word here, closure, but it sounds like what you haven't been provided is closure. And sometimes people, when a relationship ends and it ends for reasons they don't fully understand because they weren't fully rehearsed for them or unpacked in front of them, feel like they were denied something they're owed. They were denied that magic sea shit. They were denied closure. But closure is sometimes, often, almost always something that we have to do for ourselves. And that's what you have to do here. You have to tell yourself, this ended. This was a good thing for six years and it ended. It's possible you shat the bed somehow. It's possible you did or said something that upset her and she doesn't feel it would be worth the effort of going through that with you, of unpacking that with you because she doesn't want to get in an argument with you about why she misunderstood or why she misunderstood your actions or your statements and why then she is obligated to resume having this relationship with you. Or it could be nothing that has anything to do with you. She might have met someone. She might have moved away. She might have be facing a health challenge that she doesn't want to discuss with someone who isn't truly an intimate and she doesn't regard you as the intimate and she doesn't regard you as one of her close personal friends and so doesn't want to discuss it with you and doesn't want to be put in a position of having to make up some other excuse to get out of this, to get out of this relationship, to end this connection, which has ended and it ended a year ago. And listen to yourself. Listen to the sound of your voice. You just sound so in the moment. You sound like it ended five minutes ago. You got to grieve this and move on. Go pay attention to the wife. Go pay attention to some of your other sex buddies and play partners and stop obsessing about this woman. You had a good thing for six years. It ended when she ended it for reasons that she chose, for her own reasons, not to share with you. Maybe she will one day since you're still in incidental contact. Maybe one day she will reach out to you and want to make it up to you and want to provide you with the satisfying explanation that you feel that you were denied but you don't have any control over that. So you're going to have to just pull a fucking Elsa on this and let it go. Finally, already let it fucking go. Hey, Dan. I am from Southern Louisiana. I am technically engaged. Uh, We've been engaged for a few years. We have three kids and it's been just me and him. And it's been great. I love him. He loves me. The issue is, I've always had a huge sex drive, and I like to try new things. I introduced sex toys into our relationship, which he was kind of hesitant about. Now he's, you know, okay with. I have been asking for a threesome with another girl for a few years, and he's always said no. I recently told him, basically coming out to him, and, I mean, coming out to myself, too, admitting 
that I am sexually attracted to girls. I would like to have sex with a girl just to experience it. I'm a very big porn watcher. I just have a huge, big sex drive. And he is just very much against it. He does not want to breathe them. He does not want to introduce another girl. You know, I kind of mentioned an open relationship or being poly. And he took it very badly, thinking, you know, I don't want to be with him anymore. I'm bored of him, tired of him, whatever. I don't want to lose him. And right now we're kind of stuck in our ways. I want to try something new. He doesn't. How do we resolve this issue that, well, you know, won't go away? My desires won't go away. Do I need to table them to, you know, just have peace with him forever? Or will this get worse later and I'm going to end up resenting him for not letting me look into my sexuality? Three kids. You already have three kids. Which makes blowing this relationship up or issuing an ultimatum risky. Risky not just for the marriage, risky not just for you, but risky for these three kids. And I know that makes me a social conservative to even think about the interests of the children here, but I have to think about the interests of the children here. You know, one of the cliches of polyamory, one of the cliches of the organized swinging scene is that a lot of opposite sex couples find their way into swinging, find their way into polyamory after their kids are grown. It's often a middle age, even a late middle age pursuit. You may have to comfort yourself with that notion. Where you're at right now, where your husband's at right now, makes opening the relationship up impossible. And with three young children dependent on you and your husband and the relay race that is parenting, that is a lot easier with more than one person. All relay races actually are a lot fucking easier with more than one person involved. And parenting is a multi-decade long relay race. You might have to prioritize that for the moment, which means – your fantasies about sleeping with other people, about having sex with women may have to move onto the back burner and they're less likely to explode on that back burner if you can tell yourself that this is a subject that you can revisit, I don't know, in a decade, in 12 years, at whatever stage your children are more independent or out of the house. And if you put it to your husband that way, these are things that at some point in my life I'm going to want to explore. We don't have to explore them right now, but let's talk about them. I would be interested if I was talking to your husband, what his concerns are about what for many straight men is the go-to fantasy, the ultimate off-the-shelf fantasy, that three-way with two women. Why does that not interest him? Sometimes what you hear from guys is that they have an easier time getting an erection with a partner that they are comfortable with and familiar with uh, and they have less performance anxiety with a regular partner. Maybe it's that. Maybe he's concerned that there will be some other woman in the room and he won't be able to get it up. You can address that concern by taking the hard dicks out of the center of the action by saying the first time we have a three-way with another girl, it'll just be oral and rolling around and maybe some mutual masturbation, but no PIV in anybody. Nobody's V gets peed and it takes the pressure off the dude, that dude who has performance anxiety issues around new partners. Think back to the beginning of your relationship. Did he have performance anxiety with you at the beginning of the relationship that he doesn't so much have now? Maybe that's his concern. Now, I'm just speculating he also may worry that he will lose you if he lets you. The counter to that, and I don't think you should frame this as an ultimatum because of those three kids, the counter to that is there's also a risk of losing you and not letting you. 
that people will sabotage their relationships to get out of them, to feel fulfilled sexually, subconsciously, not always the conscious process, will sabotage the relationship because sexual fulfillment is that important. And you want to be sexually fulfilled within the context of this relationship for the benefit of this relationship and to safeguard your family. That doesn't mean that he has to agree to openness or poly if what you made was a monogamous commitment. You can't impose that on him without involving him in a renegotiation unless you're going to separate. If you're going to do ethical non-monogamy, if you're not going to cheat on him to feel sexually fulfilled, if you want to bring him along, that may take years. Another cliche slash truism of the organized poly or swinging scene is that you meet many couples there where there was a multi-year, sometimes a decade-long conversation about opening up the relationship before the relationship was successfully open to the satisfaction and pleasure and joy of both partners. If you want to stay with this man, if you want to do right by your children, you may have to take a very long view here. You may have to regard this as a conversation that could last a decade before it resolves in a way that satisfies you. That allows for you to have these experiences and these adventures that you ache to have. But going to your husband and saying, at least we need to be able to talk about this. That doesn't mean I have to act on it. That doesn't mean I'm even expecting to get your okay or your permission. I just want us to know each other. And I want you to know where I'm at and you don't have to move at this time or at a pace that makes you uncomfortable. But at least you have to acknowledge what I'm feeling, what my wants and desires are. And then if I'm sacrificing those for the good of our marriage, for the good of our family and our children, that has to be acknowledged. And being able to have these conversations with your husband and getting that acknowledgement may make it easier for you, at least for the next decade, to live without acting on these fantasies and desires. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old listener from the South. I'm struggling with the decision about whether or not to end a relationship of four and a half years or not. We're long distance, but see each other most weekends because he's in school three hours away. He's planning to move here in two weekends, and we're both longtime listeners and respect your opinion. During our time together, we've attempted an open relationship but failed due to a variety of reasons, mostly him not following the guidelines that we set or bending them when it works in his favor. I've made mistakes, too. For over two years, we've been monogamous. Almost exactly two years ago, I learned about him cheating on me with two different women shortly after closing our relationship. They were one-night hookups and felt meaningless to me. He claimed he thought we were still in an open relationship and he was lonely because of the distance. We were able to rectify the situation and get back together. Fast forward to now, three months engaged, I proposed fuck gender roles, where I learned about what I'm calling an emotional affair with a woman who slept with four years ago when we were in an open relationship. She's part of the reason for our closed relationship as he bent the rules and hurt the trust we built together. He was on Bumble recently, despite the closed relationship, and matched with her. He told her that he had a hall pass, but he didn't. They've been texting for over six week, weeks about a variety of things, including extensive details of our sex life, health issues I've gone through over the past year, when they'd meet up, etc. There are also messages that were more concerning to me about whether he's in love with me. He said something about not knowing if he even believed in love and said that sometimes he feels like we're just best friends who have okay sex. These are things that like he hasn't really spoken to me about. In all fairness, my libido is lower than it once was, but I'm actively working to resolve that. When confronted, he stated he was proud of himself for stopping before he fucked her and that he bet he could still fuck her, even though I texted her to let her know that he doesn't have a hall pass. Not my finest moment, I admit. 
help Dan. I'm not really sure if it's worth rectifying this relationship or not. I was the happiest I've been in my relationship the day before I found out about this, but now I don't know. I feel like down the line, we could be legally bound and possibly have kids, which would make, make breaking things off a bigger deal. If it weren't for the other instances, or if he had had a different response when I asked him about it, I don't know that I would have had any question about staying with him. So Dan, what do you think? Should I just DTMFA? Definitely have kids with this guy. Immediately. Have six or seven kids with this guy. Break the fuck up already. Dump the motherfucker already. How many holes does he have to drill into the bottom of the boat before you stop bailing it the fuck out so furiously? He's cheated on you. He's violated the rules. He's engaged in really self-serving, transparently bullshit rationalizations to justify his behavior. He's on dating apps saying that he's single. He's telling previous hookup partners, people that he's had sex with, that he's not sure that he loves you and doesn't enjoy sex with you. All of which you apparently read. I'm assuming you got onto his phone or somehow hacked his Bumble account. Yeah, Go. End it. Obviously, this is not a good relationship and it's not going to get better once he moves in with you. The sex isn't going to get better. He's not going to suddenly turn into a better person once you're able to what? Police him 24 hours a day? Monitor his movements more closely because you're living in the same place? He's demonstrated to you that he cannot be trusted, that he does not value you or feel about you the same way that you value or feel about him. And then he's a lying sack of cheating shit. And maybe he's a lying sack of cheating shit because you guys are emotionally involved and emotionally connected in a way. And he doesn't want to walk away from that, but the sex isn't good. And blah, and no, no, he's just an asshole. I'm not going to try to see this from his side. Stop bailing the boat out. Let the boat sink. Get the fuck out of this relationship. I forbid you from making babies with this man. I will find you and I will put the IUD in you myself to prevent it. DTMFA. My partner and I were shopping at Costco a couple of weeks ago and we were in the freezer section and my partner made the comment that I don't really, really believe it, but they sell frozen octopus at Costco. So I'm blind. So he took one out of the freezer so I could feel it through the shrink wrap. And as I was uh, exploring it, a person walked by behind us, a man, and he made the comment, ah, no octopusy for you two guys, and proceeded to walk past us. And we were both dumbfounded. We couldn't uh, figure out if it was a 1980s movie reference that he was doing, or was it a homophobic comment? What are your thoughts? Wow, I didn't know they sold octopus at Costco either, but that may be because I don't think I've ever been in a Costco. I have no idea what that weird person passing by meant when they said no octopusy for you. May have just been some sort of weird impulse statement where they saw an octopus and said some random thing about a James Bond movie for no reason. Maybe they were making a homophobic comment. Maybe you guys read gay and you read as a couple and so he didn't understand why you were handling an octopus because it has puss in its name and gay men aren't interested in puss e who knows we will never know this will remain an unsolved mystery i also don't think it's anything you need to stress about too much or give too much more thought to
All right. Before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Alex the Great tweets, a tip for surviving family Christmas. Listen to the Savage Lovecast in your AirPods while the family watches Fantasia on television. Excellent pairing, especially if Dan is talking about water sports. Terminal Fatigue tweets at Fake Dan Savage insists that at some point in a relationship, people just start farting in front of each other. I can't be the only one for whom that's never been the case and is happy to keep it that way. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. And finally, a slut called Nada tweets, Dear at Fake Dan Savage, have you ever heard of a reverse sugar daddy, i.e. an older man who gets paid for companionship by a younger woman? The world being wide and wild, I'm sure it happens, but I've never seen it. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. I'm not so sure it happens, and I've never seen it. But if somebody out there knows of someone or is someone who's ever been in a reverse sugar daddy arrangement, please give us a buzz. We'd love to hear from you. All right, if you want me to possibly read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, okay, I'm calling in response to the guy who called about his, I'm sorry, the person he's dating and her insecurities about women they see on TV or models or actresses or whatever. Um, I had such a visceral reaction to this call and I just feel like his, his idea that he needs to talk to her about how it's such a turnoff for him to be so insecure and blah, blah, blah. He has no idea what it's like to be a woman in uh, our society, in our world. And maybe instead of having these conversations with her about how she should change her behavior because it's turning him off, maybe he could have a conversation with her about the source of these issues. Where does it come from? Why does she feel this way? It just doesn't feel very supportive or understanding, and it feels very self-centered for that to be his reaction. And also, for him to claim that it's very high school for her to need the title of boyfriend-girlfriend, it seems completely immature for him to deny her that title. Hi, I actually have a comment about episode 686 and the guy who's bummed out that his girlfriend of four years won't have sex with him anymore. I'm wondering if anyone's considered the possibility that he's not good at it. It's not satisfying her, so she doesn't want it. Or maybe the way he talks, cheats her, and the relationship makes her feel like she doesn't want it. I guess it's on her to speak up, too, but... He's just assuming his needs aren't getting met. Maybe he's not meeting her, and she just doesn't want to do it with him anymore. Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Um, this is a comment for the caller in episode 686, um, the fiancé who was playing tug-of-war with a stepchild. And I just wanted to say, as a child of divorce and a mother of my own child and the stepmother of four girls, um, I think Dan's advice was spot on. I know this is your wedding, but Everything in your call was totally about you and not about this child and just a wake up reminder that adults need sometimes you're an adult and this is a child you're talking about, not a trophy, not something to fight over and someone who you want presumably in your life for a long time. So you need to make it about them. And it's a really hard thing as a step parent, but it happens all the time. So if you can't do it now, you might want to reconsider being in this role because holidays and birthdays and graduations and all sorts of celebrations in your life that you think are about you need to have that child put first. So I don't know, I guess my advice is if you can't take a moment and step back and realize what's best for the kid in this situation, which is not to be pushed and pulled all over the place, it's to be considered. And perhaps this child isn't comfortable spending a week with your 
soon to be husband and you and the mother and the grandmother actually made a thoughtful decision on behalf of the child advocating for a child who can't do it for themselves to limit that time and to build the relationship slowly. So uh, get out of your own way and think about the kid first. I, I get it. It's your wedding, but you're marrying into a family where there's a child and um, you got to put that kid first. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, you can give us a buzz at 206-302-2064. Or better yet, you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone and email us your question at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You like it when I pop off about politics on this sex and relationship advice podcast? You want to be listening to Blabbermouth, the Strangers Week in Review news and politics podcast where I often pop off about politics hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Eli Sanders every Wednesday. It's Christmas Eve if there's someone on your list who is a Savage Lovecast listeners and you didn't manage to find the perfect something for them. I have that perfect something for them. You can give them the gift of the Savage Lovecast. Go to savagelovecast.com. Click on gift. The notice of the gift arrives as soon as you purchase it. So if you want them to get it on Christmas morning, seventh or eighth day of Hanukkah. You're going to want to wait till Christmas morning, the seventh or eighth day of Hanukkah. But you can gift the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, which is twice as long. It has no ads at savagelovecast.com. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the techs have yet rescued and Nancy. We'll be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.